Hey everybody, thank you for checking out Performance Anxiety. I am your host, Mark, and I want to thank our sponsor, AKG, for sending us their Podcaster Essentials Kit. The Lira mic and the headphones included in the kit are the best way to start your own podcast if you've ever thought about doing that. I'm joined by drummer Paul Claro. Paul is one half of the band Cinema Cinema. He's also related to the other half of Cinema Cinema, guitarist and noisemaker Ev Gold. Together, they form one of the most avant-garde bands recording today. Paul tells me all about wanting to be in a band with Ev ever since he was a little kid. And Paul got a feeling for being a musician early. In high school, his jazz band played in a lot of competitions and even toured Japan. That's about the same time he went from being the music nerd in his school to the cool drummer who was in three different bands. The duo of Paul and Ev began as a backing band for some music Paul's dad was recording. The magic was undeniable, and the cousins have been playing together ever since. They've just released CCXMD2, a recording they did with jazz musician Matt Dario. Paul discusses those sessions and what's next for Cinema Cinema. So follow them on social media, at Cinema Cinema on Twitter, and at Cinema Cinema Band on Instagram. Pick up CCXMD and CCXMD2 wherever you get music. Follow us at Performance ANX on social media. And you can help support the show on ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety or by buying merch at performanceanx.threadless.com. Follow at Pantheon Pods and check out all the other great shows on the network. So let's get the show on the road with Paul Claro of Cinema Cinema on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Hey, this is Paul Claro uh, from Cinema Cinema. Uh, we have a new album coming out August 20th. It's CCXMD2. And uh, you're listening to Performance Anxiety Podcast with Mark Shea. Thank you very much for, for joining me. Oh, man, thank you for having me. I mean, it's it's really uh, looking at your whole lineup of guests you've had in the past. I mean, it's really, it's it's an honor for me. So thank you for taking the time oh, to man. talk to me. I don't know what I have to say, but I'll, I'll try to say something worthwhile. Uh, no problem. No, it'll be easy. It'll be real easy. I do want to thank you guys for the continued support of the podcast because you guys keep liking the posts and, and you know, retweeting things and, and uh, re, I don't know, I don't know what you do with Instagram. I, I, I don't know. But. <laughs> it's like, repost or something like that yeah i don't know, I, don't, I, I, don't know. I love instagram i hate twitter i love instagram i don't know really what i'm doing besides just posting stuff <laughs> and liking yeah. stuff <laughs> yeah you got to get on that hashtag game that's the hard that's oh, the hard part <laughs> i'm awful with that too it's, it's and i don't yeah, s- babe, of course man you know no problem i mean we, we're happy to support people who support us of oh, course so well, i'm i'm thrilled yes. any of my friends that are really into like avant-garde stuff and King Crimson kind of stuff, early King Crimson. I'm just throwing you guys out to them. So hopefully you're getting some new fans. I'm trying. Oh, man. Thank you. That's, that's, that's rarefied air. So yeah. thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I want before we get too deep into cinema, cinema, I want to find out a little bit how you got to cinema, cinema. So I wanted to know a little bit about how you grew up. I mean, was I, I, your dad, your dad's a musician, right? Yep. Yep. My dad played guitar pretty much my whole life, um, that I've been, that, you know, that I've been aware of. And he played when he was, when he was younger, but he kind of stopped a little bit, um, when I was first born. And then by the time I was like five, he got a guitar back and then he kind of got back into it. So by the time I was like, maybe like eight or nine, 
you know, seeing him play, he always had like music on in the car and stuff like that. He's a big uh, Bruce Springsteen fan. That was always on. Oh yeah. Uh, big, yeah like that kind of stuff. Cat Stevens. Oh wow. That, uh, you know, totally different from like what I would wind up doing in, in cinema, but um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm into like a whole wide variety of stuff, but uh, anyway, so just to kind of dial it back into that is like, basically I grew up with him playing guitar in the house and playing music in the car and stuff. And I just, um, at first I wanted to play guitar and uh, that was very difficult <laughs> as you can imagine for a young kid. Right. Yeah, no, My I fingers, wouldn't do that. I, yeah, man. And I was a really small kid too. Like I still am small, um, like Same. short stature. <laughs> me too. Five, six in the house. Yeah, man. That's me. Basically oh. five, seven on my driver's license. I don't know if that's uh, <laughs> my shoes on or what, but I, I, I say five, seven, but, um, but yeah, I was a small guy, a small kid. And I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't really, I don't know if the guitar was too big that I had at the time. I mean, it was like a, you know, a children's size guitar, I think, but it was just too painful for me to like really get into and like, you know, get any way proficient at doing it at that young age. And I was yeah. just like, yeah, screw this. Like <laughs> I, this, this hurts. Like, I, I would, why would you want to do this? Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Guitar sucks. <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of what my thought was. I was like, ah, you know, it'd be really cool to play that. But like, I, I'm just, I'm just couldn't, I couldn't stick with it. You don't have that so, old um, man strength in your fingers. Like your dad did. Yeah. Not at that, not at that time. He made it look so easy. I mean, his hand's like holding a, a baseball mitt. So it's like, it's a, it's a whole different story, <laughs> but, uh, got to talk about baseball too. Cause I was just listening to your, uh, the, the episode you did with Don, Don Z and Tara, oh, um, yeah. which I mean, he, me, we go way back with him and I was just like kind of going through and I, I had listened to that when it first came out. And oh, cool. I think one, one, of, one of the first things you asked him or one of the first things that came up is if he was a Nats fan. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we suck and, this uh, year too. I mean, I, I really want to get your opinion on that. Cause I don't know many Nats fans and I, I know that they just had, I don't want to date the episode too much, but we are in the year of our Lord 2021. Yes. As you're listening to this, uh, we can, listeners out there, we can get into and, it whenever you're ready, man. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know what yeah. it's last year with, with the pandemic hitting and all, I watched no baseball because it was, uh, it was kind of a joke. It was like, you know, what's a 60 something game season. It was over before you even realized it. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm a big baseball fan too. And I really was checked out last year with the COVID stuff. It didn't feel yeah. like a real season. You, well, know? you didn't know if there was going to be one because half the teams, everybody was postponing games, canceling games because the teams were coming up. Everybody had COVID. I didn't even know yeah. if there was going to be an actual season. I know they started it and we're like, what the hell's going on? Is there going to actually be one? And then uh, this year, I just, it's been tough for me to get into it. I, I've kind of done it to myself because I have <laughs> scheduled so many people for this podcast that I'm having a hard time watching the games between recording and editing. So oh, that's great that you're busy with the podcast though, but the, you know, the, at least the Nats aren't really giving you too much to, to miss. Eh? <laughs> that, exactly. Exactly. And we just made some atrocious moves. I don't know. Yeah. That's what I wanted. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Mets fan. I don't know if that ever came up in uh, in any of your Googling about me background <laughs> research, but me and Ev and my whole, my family, my dad and everything, we all go way back as, as Mets fans. So to see the Nats do like this fire sale that they, that they've been going through, like basically their entire lineup they gave away and they <laughs> like, didn't even have to <laughs> no i mean trey turner was the one that i was really surprised about like their young shortstop Me you know too. like why why throw him in the deal like just give him to the dodgers for no reason him and and i mean i look i love max scherzer and i, I guess i understand why they did i mean honestly i would have loved to see him retire as a nat i don't care how crappy he was he was, and I don't know. He wasn't doing bad. He was just getting old. So yeah, I would. He loved- made more sense, but like yeah. I guess who knows what went on behind the scenes to make Trey Turner part of that 
package. I mean, you would think Max Scherzer would have been enough, but like, geez. You would think they would have gotten more than four prospects for the two of those guys combined. Right, right. Four like, guys. It was really wild. And then, and then like the very, like an hour later or the next morning, they selling off Kyle Schwarber. Or, uh, yeah, Kyle Schwarber. Schwarber. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was like, I mean, I mean, that makes sense. He was only on the team for like whatever for the year or something. Yeah. So, yeah. so when you're dealing with I'm. But uh, still, I mean, he was having a great season. So, I mean, that's the kind of deals that make sense. But, like, Trey Turner, like, dang, that's, Ugh. like, all-star, like, for the futures, that shortstop premium position. Like, what are you guys doing? That hurt me because we got rid of Bryce Harper a few years ago. Right. I, I didn't yeah. care because Bryce Harper was so streaky, you know, and mm. kind of a dick. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but, and you know, his first couple of seasons in, in Philly, I mean, he's doing pretty good this year from what I understand, but I mean, he, he hasn't been lighting the world on fire, but nah, yeah. But you know, for what he was going to be, what he was going to cost the Nats, I understood getting rid of him. That's fine. And yeah. I mean, it's not like he, you can't find outfield. We have some good outfield. We've got Juan Soto for crying out loud. <laughs> All this, this whole thing just makes me worried about what's going to happen when Juan Soto's contract is up. Right. Well, I guess it just depends on like what position they're in at the time. And, you know, hopefully they can rebuild around him and yeah. a couple of the other guys. But I mean, it's just, I don't know. I haven't seen a fire sale like that. And you know, I think in the, in my 10, 15 years, I've been watching baseball, like yeah, seriously it's... watching it, like knowing about the trade deadlines and all that stuff. I think the trade deadline was a little different this year because I think that they usually can kind of stretch it into August 30th or something like that. Yeah, I think there's you're like, right. There's like, there's like a waiver uh, stuff that can go through waivers uh, for like the next month. But like, I don't think that's happening this year for some reason. I don't know. I don't, I don't know the background, like these waivers and all these crazy deals and arbitration and all this you know, shit. Like, I don't know. That's, I don't know. I, that's, I used to do two sports podcasts and I, I would know that garbage, but it's been <laughs> a couple of years and uh, it's, it's all just right out of my head. And yeah, uh, really welcome to National League Baseball Talk with Mark and Paul. <laughs> yeah, I, I just wanted, I wanted to get it out of the way early because you know it, it was fresh in my mind that I've been wanting to. I don't know. I don't know anybody who likes the Nats. Like, I wanted to get know, it out of my system too. I, I've been <laughs> I've been bitching on Twitter. I'm, I'm almost never on Twitter. I hate Twitter, but I've been complaining about it with with some of my uh, the people that we follow each other on Twitter, and it's just nobody can figure it out. Anyway. Yeah, it, it, it's very mind-boggling. But like you know, the baseball is actually a big part of kind of like I wouldn't say the history of of my of my band of cinema. But both me and Ev are like crazy baseball fans, and I actually both me and Ev had before we got into music, we really were in we were really into baseball. Like I, not that I ever thought that I was going to be like all-star center fielder or something like right. that, but. Um, you know, Ev really was a good catcher. He was a great catcher. Um, when, when, uh, like he, before he really got heavy into music, he was like, they played in the little league world series, like oh, stuff wow. like that. Like, you know, like, um, toured around and, 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 you know, really, uh, was, you know, serious in, in, in as a uh, baseball player. So me, it was kind of the opposite. Like I, I got into baseball because that's what you do as a little kid. And I thought yes. like, Oh, you know, I'm, I like doing it. It's fun. And then, um, you know, this is after I had the whole experience with the guitar hurting my little fingies. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, I basically was like, okay, you know, I'll try, I'll try soccer, I'll try baseball, and I'll never, I'll never forget. I, I was in, I was in a baseball field, like playing a game, like you know, it was a hot day, and I was never really good. I always got hit with the ball. I, 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 I could never hit. Like I just feel like I was, I don't know. I just wasn't really adapting to that either. And all in the while, like, you know, music was still in my, in my mind. And like, I wanted to, I was trying to think about something to do. And I, I remember I fainted 
in the middle of the baseball field, like in the outfield. Whoa! <laughs> like I, I got sunstroke, oh, and I was like, I, I was like a little, you know, I was like nine or something. Oh my and god! I was like, I was like, fuck this, this sucks too. So anyway, <laughs> literally within like a month or so after that, in our like, uh, I used to go to a Catholic school growing up in the parish. We uh, we lived very close to a church, so okay. we were in, involved in the parish, and they were having like a kind of a talent show slash kind of just like they kind of put on like this show for the community. It was called, they called it the cabaret. Okay. And it was kind of like, you know, anybody could like, you didn't really have to audition to do it, but like my dad would go and every year play a song. And this was like the first year that we, we had got involved with it. And uh, I remember just kind of being all downtrodden and just like liking my little music that I listened to and just really wanting to play guitar. And I was going to follow my dad because he was playing guitar and I thought it was cool to like watch him and yeah. stuff. And then uh, that one day that we went there, there was a drummer there out of nowhere and I, I was it was the first time i ever saw a drum set in my life like you know really something like it just enthralled me like seeing someone set up this big thing that looked like uh you know it looked like a mechanical to me at the time you know like mm-hmm. it was really mind-boggling as a kid and i was just like wow like and i always kind of like in my head thought drummers were cool and you don't really like when you're a kid you don't really you're not really listening to the drummer you know like right. you're kind of listening to what's it, whatever's on top, listening to the lyrics, you know? Yep. And then after that, I kind of just became obsessed with getting into the drums and I just begged my parents and I, I lived in an apartment building my, <laughs> my whole life. So <laughs> you can imagine they weren't really too uh, as enthralled as I was right. with the uh, idea of bringing that into the house. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, eventually I, I broke them down and they, they took me and I, I got a little starter kit and that was when I was like nine years old. Wow. And then I, I had lessons for like a, a year or two. And then by that time I kind of was off to the races. I kind of got to the, the baseline of how to keep a beat. And I, you know, I really appreciated the ability to create my own beats and, and kind of like that. I, I didn't have to follow a script or a song chart or something like that. Like I kind of just, I would play along with songs that I liked, you know, at the time. And, and I kind of learned that way, but you know, I had, I had, a, I had lessons early on and got really, really into it. And, um, yeah, I mean that's kind of like my the beginning, the very beginning of my musical journey, so to speak. So uh, yeah, that's kind of how I started. So what were you listening to that was influencing you at that time? Well, I definitely was listening to stuff that like my dad was listening to, you know, like classic rock stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like definitely like a lot of Bruce Springsteen. Max Weinberg, the drummer from the Bruce Springsteen E Street Band, is yeah. one of my original like heroes. You know, because he's so tight and so strong, and I mean they have to like he he has to conduct like that entire crazy Bruce Springsteen like orchestra you know yeah. and he's yeah. so powerful you know so like that was really influential to me as a kid and I watched a lot of their live concerts and stuff when I was growing up so he was one of my original ones that I got into and Bruce Springsteen was like one of the first bands I really like loved yeah but I didn't really understand <laughs> even I just loved it because it was always around and I you know it has a special place in my heart but I've evolved a lot since then right um <laughs> but uh also um the who Keith Moon was probably one of the early, like I remember seeing a, a Who documentary early on and just seeing Keith Moon and, and being just like, wow, this guy's nuts, you know, like, yeah. and, uh, you know, like really getting into the Who as at an early age was really influential and in seeing how Keith Moon was very expressive and, and lyrical on the drums. Like that's something that I put into my playing to, to this day. So, um, so like, those are like some of the really early influences I would say, or, or early things that I was listening to. And then of course, you know, as a kid, I was into like all the nineties rock, you know, like some things I'm probably a little embarrassed to say, <laughs> talk about, you know, but like, you know, I was into, you know, and then I got really into like the pop punk phase of like the late nineties, early two thousands. Okay. Um, like blink 182 was like a big, a big influence to a lot of kids. My, my generation, I'm 
I was born in 88. So right around the time of like 99 into 2002, there was like that hotbed of like new wave pop punk rock that was kind of coming around that yeah. really kind of opened my mind to different types of music. And then it like kind of blew up and then it kind of got a little shitty, but like, yeah. you know, the early stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, you know, like Blink-182 and Travis Barker specifically, like he was a big influence on me as a, as a young drummer too. I mean, he's just crazy too. So, you know, it's kind of the, the building blocks of like what I kind of thought of myself as a drummer at that time or what I kind of aspired to be. But that's like when I was really young, like really early teen years. And then, you know, kind of morphed out of that and, and got more into the, the real punk stuff, you know, like the Sex Pistols and the Black Flags and, and, and getting into like, um, you know, the grunge stuff, you know, the, the early nineties stuff. And oh, then yeah. that gives, gives way to whole broad scopes of different kind of things. So that, you oh, know, yeah, that's my ear right like, there. Yeah. They, so like the breadcrumb trailing of backwards, kind of working my way backwards from, you know, like the pop punk stuff into the grunge stuff and, and, and backwards, even like into heavy metal and stuff like that too. I mean, you know, it's hard to like pinpoint down, like, you know, thinking that, that far back, like what really was influencing me, but definitely like, you know, Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and, and, and that stuff too, like Soundgarden, you know, Matt Cameron, the drummer from Soundgarden, who is the, is the uh, drummer for Pearl Jam now. He was another one that was really, I was always listening to that stuff. So his drumming really influenced me too early oh, on. Oh, for so. sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's really tight, really amazing drummer. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, stuff like that, basically. That's that's like the early phases, and then once I hooked up with Ev and joined Cinema, like the whole world kind of exploded of musically <laughs> for me, you know, because he's he's like a musical like encyclopedia, you know, like he basically just took my iPad iPod when I was young and just dumped a bunch of music on it, and just like. <laughs> Yeah, listen to this, this, and I, I just, I'm still working through it to this day. Well, he's, <laughs> I don't, I, yeah. he's about what ten years older. Yeah, he's ten years older than me. You guys, he's like a like a big brother to you, helping oh. guide you, keeping you away from crap. Yeah, it's true. Hopefully, it's yeah. Totally. <laughs> I mean, I definitely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, some of the stuff he listens to is questionable too. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> we all got our we all got our uh, our things, you know. But uh, that's a good point. <laughs> but no, he definitely was like you know even before we got in, into playing together, uh, you know, I always I always looked up to him, you know, like I always really wanted to play with him like as soon as i knew that he was in a in a band himself and this is really early on i remember finding out that he had a website and thinking that like that was the coolest thing when i was 13 i was like how the hell does this guy have a website and he, he like loaded his music up to it and that was before the days of like Bandcamp or like myspace or anything like that yeah. you know like so it was really mind-blowing to me like so i would like go and listen to his music on his website and i would be like really impressed by what i heard and being a fan being a fan of him as a kid and hoping one day and even practicing and playing along to the songs that I would hear oh, on wow. his website, you know, like when I was 13, like that was like, he was in my rotation of things that I would play along to oh, when I was awesome. practicing drums. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I would, you know, when I found out that he was in a, in a band and are making music or just active musically, I, I would always text him and he would send me recommendations of things to listen to. <laughs> yeah. So like, that's been, that, that was even before we even, the, the thought of us playing together was even, even a, a seed of a thought, you know, like he probably would never have thought of doing it until he eventually saw me playing in my band. But like, eventually I got into the thing. I was like, one day he's going to see me, you know, <laughs> yeah. one day, one day it's going to happen. Yeah. The stars will align, you know, and <laughs> eventually it did. My plan will work. Yeah. So when did you start playing in bands and, and gigging? I would say, um, I started playing in bands by seventh grade of, you know, grammar school. Um, oh, wow. so yeah, probably like I was 12, 13, like that, that age, 
I, I kind of had a leg up on kids because I had been playing for a couple of years. I started playing when I was in the end of fourth grade, fifth grade. So by nine years old, 10 years old, I was, I was already playing. And then by, so by the time all of my friends were starting to get into music and like obsessed with playing drums and, and stuff like that. Ultimately, by the time my friends were all getting into music and stuff, I already kind of had a leg up. So everybody kind of, I went from being like the nerd who was reading like, you know, the Sam Ash or Guitar Center magazine at a desk yeah. to being like, oh, Paul, what are you reading? Oh, you, you play drums? Like, it was kind of like that. So I became like the cool kid. And there was like three <laughs> different bands that were forming up around me. And nice. I just started playing with all these different kids. And then, uh, you know, I, I went from being like a, big loser to like the guy that was the go-to guy oh paul's cool now you know kind of like that so uh, <laughs> i got you know it, got, it was kind of nice for a couple of years and i i so uh, eventually between influencing other kids and 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 kind of being you know kind of like a, a the glue that held a couple of different groups together like some of those groups fell away but by the time i was in eighth grade and going into my first year of high school I was gigging every once in a while like playing um there was this place uh even ev had, has played here too it was called the moors some okay. people who uh, from Brook the Brooklyn area might know about Lemoore's. It's it's since been uh, changed into something else. It was a really cool place for kids back in the day, like young kids, because you can. I mean, you kind of had to like buy the tickets from them and then then sell the tickets oh, yourself. Okay. So it was almost like pay to play in, yeah. in a way. Um, <laughs> but we didn't care at the time. They would print out the tickets with your, your band's name on it, and you thought, "Wow, oh, this is awesome." That's awesome. So, yeah, so I, I got so that was pretty much the only place that we knew of to play, and it's crazy how different things were even back then. Like, you know, it was hard. There was no Facebook or social media. It was hard for a young band to like really know where to go to find gigs, and if you didn't know anybody who played in bands or something. So, you know, that was like the beginning of me gigging. So, like, and then ultimately, by the time I I got into high school, I I went to a school that had a um a jazz band like a fun, like it was like a, a function that they I went there specifically because they had music and I had an audition to be in the band and I, I eventually I got in and uh that that became kind of like my band because it was very it was very serious you okay. know like and I was in like two other bands in high school that were through the school and I would jam with like other people from my class and stuff but like the band the jazz band was so it was like a, I got graded on it you know like they, wow. they gave me a grade like at the end it was part of my like curriculum so uh, I, I wanted to do like really good in it. And, and it was like, I had to get to school and I, I lived far away from this high school. So I had to get to school at seven o'clock in the morning and band practice would start at like seven fifteen, and we'd go for an hour. And then every day, that would be every day. And then every wow. lunch period, I would miss my lunch period and go and do jazz band practice. And then sometimes it'd be after school too, because we would do concerts around town. They would like book us at functions and stuff like that. Oh, cool. So, yeah, so that became kind of like my gigs, you know, like, and I, we even recorded with that band a few times, and oh, we, we wow. played um, competitions and stuff, so, yeah, and then eventually, and that band, even um, the jazz band from that high school went to, uh, got selected to go to Japan, so I got to tour Japan as a, as a 16-year-old kid. Wow. Uh, yeah. Damn, that's so awesome. Was, yeah, it was really awesome, so I was there for 10 days, and it was like a tour, it was like a whole tour, we had a bus. And oh uh, we stayed with like host families sometimes, some some days, and uh, the people I still keep in touch with to this day in Japan. Wow. Um, yeah. So that was that was like it was so. My my point is like in high school, that's what I did musically. You know, like I was really playing all the time, and like my music teacher was very like serious. Like <laughs> he would like throw pencils at you and stuff if you're <laughs> off time. It was kind of like that movie, the freaking Whiplash. Uh, 
Yeah, not as bad as that. I mean, that was like a little extreme. Not as bad like, as Fletcher. <laughs> that is one of my favorite I, movies of all time. Oh, it's so it's so good. It's almost hard for me to watch, like as a as a musician, because I'm just like, damn, I I don't want it to seem like it's that bad. And I don't. I've never experienced obviously like something like that. But I did get some like songbooks hurled at my head, and <laughs> some, like, some banging of some like uh, you know podiums and stuff. So I know what it could be like. But um, so you um, got a taste for touring and playing live really early on, then. Yeah, definitely. Um, we played all all over the all over Brooklyn at different festivals, different parades, like old folks' homes. Like we did, they just like I don't know. My music teacher treated it as if it, we were his like like his band, like not just for the school. Like he, he really wanted us to get that experience of of playing live and 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 playing out, not just doing it for a recital for a, the high school. You know, like, yeah. we did that too. We did like two or three shows a year just as a performance for the high, for the high school and for our parents and stuff like that. But outside of that, we did all these other events and things like so. And, uh, it was really cool and it was good for the school, you know, like it, it promoted the school and it also promoted the, the music program, which was very young when I had started. And I guess that my teacher was trying to, uh, Mr. Leposky, if you're listening to this, you know, <laughs> God bless you, sir. We'll tag him. Uh, yeah, exactly. I got to find that guy, actually. No, I think, uh, he was great. He was really a, a big influence on me when I was growing up, too. And um, he was a trumpet player, and he toured around, and, you know, he was a serious musician, too. Wow. So, like, yeah, so it was. he was a good influence on me early on and gave me that kind of, like, work ethic of, of being kind of like a working musician, even though, you know, you're doing it for school, but, like, having kind of like a a work ethic towards it. Like, you're not just doing it for fun. Like, you're, you're yeah. doing it because it, it means something, and it's – it matters it's not just like don't just like toss this grade away like you right, this, right. this is important you know yeah so that stuck with me for for years and 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 the playing live and stuff i mean i developed a passion for that early on i mean i even when i was during high school i, I wound up so that that uh cabaret thing that i wound up seeing the my first drum set at yeah i wound up becoming the drummer of that oh wow um, in my in my parish so through while i was doing all the gigs and stuff from my high school. I was also doing the drums for the, the church and for the parish and stuff like that. So wow. I was playing, I was playing a lot, you know, and I, I really loved to play live because I felt like it, I was a very quiet kid uh, growing up and it, you know, the drums to me were, was never really was about, it never really was about making everything perfect and being like the greatest musician and having the best chops. It was like, really for me, it was about like expression, you know, like being able to express myself um, okay, especially as a, as, and especially as a young kid, when I really felt, well, I was very shy. Like the drums were like the biggest, loudest instrument on stage, right? <laughs> yeah. So can't, you can't avoid <laughs> listening to the drums. And if you're a good drummer, people tend to pay attention to you. So yeah. In fact, if they're um, not there, you, you're definitely missed. Right. Right. Exactly. A bad drummer can make a good band sound like shit. Yeah. And a great drummer can make a good band sound great. Yeah. You know. So I always prided myself on being, uh, trying to be, uh, like kind of a showman and, and putting on a performance, like. You know, even things that I do in cinema today, like looking at the crowd and pointing my sticks. Like I was doing that even when I was a kid, you know, like getting, <laughs> trying to get the crowd into it, you know. But yeah, that really developed early on. I was very fortunate to have all those uh, experiences at, at a young age as a musician, too. When did the connection with Ev really start to form to make to create cinema cinema? Uh, it's, uh, I, I think Ev might have touched upon it a little bit when he, cause I, I, I did a, a quick re-listen of uh, the interview with Ev just cause I didn't want to hit on the same things. I want to, you know, like this is the other side of cinema, exactly. you know, we gotta be, get, get a couple of different you know points of view here. 
but um <laughs> but you know it's you know it, it is the same story so it's gonna some things will overlap but yeah, yeah basically it's he, been a while since he, people have heard it too so right and, and actually it's, it's pretty interesting how cyclical it is too because when you had interviewed him the last time we were coming out with um the first ccxmd album and yeah. it was like it was just he was talking about kind of the songs from that and you played a, like a clip or two from from that album on putting out the we're not kind of we are putting out august 20th is the release date of ccx and v2 so it's kind of funny how it all kind of like works out but yeah but that was a long time ago <laughs> so here's the, here's the story again for those of you who missed it from my side of the, the story ultimately you know i always knew ev was a musician and, and i i always kind of like revered him and i always looked up to him as a young kid being into music and getting becoming a musician i mean i even remember as young as as 10 years old, him coming over, 10 or 11, him coming over to my house to see my dad, because my dad's his uncle. So like, basically he would come over and jam with my dad and I'd be in my bedroom kind of like tiddling around on the drums, like, and just hoping he'd come in and be like, hey, what are you doing in there, Paulie? Yeah. You know, like, uh, <laughs> um, you know, eventually it happened. I was playing like, I don't know, hot cross buns on the drums or something. And like, who cares? <laughs> but whatever the equivalent, the drum equivalent of that is. But right. like, yeah, so like, I, you know, I always, I don't know. There was, in my mind, there was always like a link between me and Ev I, that I couldn't explain or something that I, I kind of wanted. Cause I, I'm the oldest of three kids okay. in, in my family. And I didn't have like an older brother or an older sibling. I was always that person to, yeah. to my siblings. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. So I think, you know, I kind of always had kind of like a kindred older brother vibe towards Ev, Ev early on. Yeah. Uh, in our relationship, but he wasn't, he didn't live in, in New York for a, a couple of years while I was growing up. He actually moved to LA, uh, California. I don't think he actually lived in LA. I think he lived in San Diego, but, um, or San Francisco, my bad. Okay. He'll kill me if I don't get all these facts right. Yeah. He's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I don't even know. Actually, I don't know if he was in the little league world series too. He was in some kind of big, big tournaments. I don't know. He'll have to fill you on that on the next, on the part two of the F gold uh, interview. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it's so long story short is that he, he was, he was living in California and that's when I kind of started seeing that he had that website with, um, all his music uploaded to it. And I started listening to it and being coming up a fan of his. And, uh, he had kind of a, an early version of cinema that he had formed when he moved, eventually moved back to New York and he was playing with some people, uh, um, and his friend for years and a friend that he met in um, California who had moved back to New York as well. Um, so they were playing some gigs. And uh, I remember getting an early CD of his band's music and like really getting into it and, and uh, be, again, working into the rotation, playing along with it, you know? Right. And uh, eventually, um, you know, we had kind of been in touch and I would text him about music and, and he'd give me music re recommendations and, 
stuff like that. But I was still really young at the time. I couldn't even get into a bar to go see his band <laughs> if I wanted to. You know? right. like, so it was kind of, we were very distant, like, you know, but then eventually when he, when he moved back to, to New York, like as family members, we saw each other and, and I would go to his apartment and see all the CDs he has. And I'd be like, Oh, I like that too. You know, like, it, yeah. so, so it was kind of kindling from there. And then, uh, eventually, uh, my, uh, my dad, he, like he plays music and he writes some songs and me and my dad, you know, he might, I don't, I'd be remiss to say that, you know, my dad is a very big part of my musical story all throughout all of this, because me and my dad, um, would jam together all the time. Cause my dad was still playing guitar. Oh, that's awesome. And then, yeah. So me and my dad were, were like a little two piece early on too. Um, <laughs> before, you know, all the stuff with cinema ever happened and anything like that, we would, you know, he would write songs and I would, I would write drum parts to all of his original songs that he would write. And we would do our Bruce Springsteen covers too. Yeah. So yeah. Like, yeah. Of course. You got to get the Bruce in there. Yeah. Uh, but I uh, so like, yeah. So I got a lot of experience like writing song, like do songwriting for drums, like early on and in, 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 through playing with my dad. So, um, you know, all that to say is like my dad, was making a, a CD and I was in a band at the time too. When, when me and Ev uh, eventually hooked up to play, I was in another band at the time. And we, you know, we had played a couple of shows and, you know, we were you know pretty serious. And, um, while that was going on, my dad uh, was making a CD and me and Ev were kind of being his backing band on the, on his, uh, on his CD. Uh, Ev was just going to play bass and, and play guitar. My dad was singing his songs and playing guitar, and I was just going to play the drums. Right. And um, me and Ev had never played together before. Maybe maybe we had jammed randomly at some family event, maybe <laughs> once before or something. Who the hell knows, you know? But like, I can't remember if that was before or after this. But I know that the, the first real time we played together in any in any real like earnest way was uh backing my dad for his uh songs and 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 he you know ev like heard the songs a couple times and me and evan never played before but i just remember we were kind of really vibing you know and i was i was really excited obviously like he doesn't he didn't know that at the time but i was just like this was like my dream was coming true i was finally like getting to play with my cousin five for all this time like, yeah what i've been working for you know we're waiting for this moment and uh we literally had our backs to each other because the drums were in this studio was a small little studio in Queens. And we were, I, I was facing the wall, so I couldn't even see him while he was playing. Oh, and he was playing on the other end of the room. And I just remember being like, this is working somehow. Wow, this is kind of fun. And, uh, the, the, you know, the, the album came out good, and my dad was very happy with it, and we're, we're, all, we're, we're very proud of it. And I think um, during that time, behind the scenes, you know, Ed was looking for different people to play with and just kind of starting up cinema. And... Uh, he uh, a couple months later, maybe maybe a month or two after that, came to see my band. I guess he probably felt something similar that I felt at the time. Like this is that was cool playing with Paul. Yeah, and uh, you know he came to see my band, and and uh, at the end of it, he was like, basically like you should play with me. Yeah, basically, more or less. No offense to those guys; they were great guys. <laughs> but I was just like, what have you been waiting for all this time? Yeah. I've died. Like, this is my, this, it literally was like a dream come true for me. Like at that time, like, it was like, I, I couldn't believe that this was actually happening. And I was, I was like, yep, you, to any time, tell me where you want to go, what you want to do on it, man. You know, like, I mean, and at the time I was like, oh, and I'll stay in this other band and I'll, but within, within a month of us playing together, it got so serious so quick that I, we, we both had to devote our time to just doing cinema stuff. And, uh, you know, originally the idea was to, maybe get a bassist or do something, you know, a little different, who knows, add another piece or something. But within like 
the first practice or two, we knew that we, if we just do what each other does and do what we do together, we could just do this ourselves and we didn't need to worry about anything else. So it just kind of evolved from there after that. It's amazing to hear about that connectivity that you guys have. There's like, there's something about family. Yeah. There's just a connection there. Yeah. It really, really is special. And I mean, it's something that I, you know, I pride myself on feeling like I knew it all along. I just had a fear. I don't know. Like, like I just felt that connection very early on to him. And, uh, you know, like, and then when he finally, we got to play together and it all started to click, it was just like, and it's, it's just made sense ever since. And, it's, and, and as long as, and that's what makes the band really mean something, you know, it's not any accomplishments or any amount of fans or anything like that, or any streams we get on Spotify. It's like, we're, two cousins and we're, we happen to be in this family together and we both are musicians and there's a lot of things that had to go right for it to really be going on for this 13 years that we've been doing this, yeah. you know, and it all has gone right because of our connection as, as, a, as family members. And, and it all kind of starts from that and, and how we treat it and we treat it with a lot of respect and we treat each other with a lot of respect that I feel like, you know, maybe if we were just buddies from around the corner or something, maybe it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, putting as much effort into it, but we care about it and we care about each other. Yeah. And that's what kind of propels us forward. And we're always kind of pushing each other, you know, and I think there's a lot of things that go into it, you know, like there's like a big brother, little brother thing, but we're not actually brothers. We're just cousins. So that helps <laughs> like that. If we were brothers, maybe we would have killed each other a long time ago. Ah. That's possible. <laughs> Doing something like this with my brother. I don't think, I don't know that, that one of, one of us probably would not have survived. Yeah, we've said that before too. It's just like, it's nice that we're just cousins and we don't have to like, you know, see each other on every single holiday after this too, you know? (laughs) So I'm imagining, and I haven't heard it obviously, but I'm imagining your dad's album doesn't sound anything like a cinema album. So (laughs) how did the sound kind of of cinema cinema evolve. I mean, do you guys start off being as, as heavy and avant-garde as, as you are now, or were you trying to play more standard rock songs? How, how did that start? Uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely been, uh, you know, just a kind of a process, like not only an evolution of, of the band, but of each other as musicians separately too, and what we're into and, what we're listening to at the time. And I think, you know, back when we first started, not that we ever wanted to be like a straight rock band, but, you know, we were kind of not looking to experiment right away. But really, really quickly, because of the need to kind of fill space and we only, when we decided really that we want to be a two piece, you know, very early on, you know, I've had, I've had a bunch of effects pedals pretty early on, but nothing like he has now. I mean, like it's kind of quadrupled or quintupled since then, (laughs) but like, you know, he was also just learning kind of how to be uh, a pedal rearing guitarist at the time too. So that was, that was all the process. So as Ed got more comfortable with his playing style and, that kind of evolved and adding pedal here and a pedal there. And then eventually doing the trick of splitting the, um, 
the signal between like a bass amp and a guitar amp, which really took us a couple of years ago to like another level because yeah. that's a whole other thing. But, um, you know, it kind of evolved with the the need to kind of fill space at first. And then we kind of just realized that we like to kind of improvise. And it's, you know, it's 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 fun to improvise when you're only two guys, right? Because it's kind of just like a, uh, like a conversation kind of like this, but with music, right? Like right. You're vibing. You know, you don't have an, you know, and even if you add an extra person in, like we have on the on the new record and and on each CCXMD one, we have there's room for like a, a third instrument in that. But when we're just live, me me and Ev, it's like we can't help but go off into a, another world, you know. And then that connection that we have as as family kind of propels into the music too. So yeah. I think that very early on we kind of decided and maybe it wasn't really a conscious decision but it was just because we're having so much fun playing that's when it became more avant and more like improvisational because we just didn't want to stop like we, and then eventually that became we didn't stop any time at any point during a show like we would just bleed one song into another song and like i guess that's what we do like we just kind of start playing and then we go down and we come back up and there's another song and then we go down and come back down and get really crazy. And then there's another song. And then maybe we write a song on stage that we didn't even, I mean, that happens a lot too. Like we'll, wow. we'll come up with a riff and it just, that becomes a song. And I mean, it's a lot of fun. Like we, and, and it's all kind of birthed from us kind of doing a lot of live gigs early on too. I mean, I think our, our first two years playing together, I mean, definitely in 2009, we made a, a conscious effort to play a hundred gigs that year. Yeah. Um, I remember saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the so, year that you guys like drove to Ohio or something for one gig and all the way back? <laughs> but I think we did that in, that was like one of our early, early things that, that might've been, I can't remember, you know, Ed's really like the cinema historian. He's got like a, a crazy mind for dates. He's the archivist. Definitely, yeah, basically. <laughs> but he, he's, uh, he, he'd be better at knowing a lot of stuff, but. Um, we definitely did do a, a gig, like a one-off gig in Ohio, and then just came and, and came back. I remember we drove. We we were so crazy. We <laughs> we got up at like three o'clock in the morning and got together and started driving the nine-hour drive. And I picked Ev up from his apartment at the time, and it was like torrential raining. Oh. I had like just gotten my like driver's license like a month ago. Oh my gosh! Like, <laughs> yeah, I was, and I had just bought a car like a month after that. <laughs> and I was like, it was a crazy time, but. Yeah, so we, we we did that, and I think so. Like that was that was before. Once we got survived that Chicago uh, that uh, Ohio gig and got back in one piece. Literally, we got back and like my car was like falling apart. Um, <laughs> like we were dragging ass into the into Ohio. Like it was crazy. But yeah, then the next year we were like we we just we couldn't get enough. Like and then you know now we've played going on like 500, 500 gigs. You know, but wow. like that first. That first time we, we 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 really did a lot of developing during that year of 100 gigs and playing live constantly and we became um, a live band, you know, like, and I think that's something that we kind of carry on. I mean, not it isn't, I don't think it is, it definitely is like something that we pride ourselves on is being a really great live band and, and bringing something to the table that is, is unique and something that people would actually like want to come see yeah. multiple times, you know, like, and want to be part of that experience because you never know what's going to happen it really is kind of like a performance you know it i know you guys have a pretty good connection with virginia and dc area and i'm i'm anxious for you guys to come down this way again because i've got to see a show i'm <laughs> if the albums are any inclination as to what this show is the albums are unbelievably energetic somewhat chaotic you know mm -hmm. songs like uh ufo
<laughs> one of my favorites. Um, oh, yeah. Bomb Plot. You know, they're just, <laughs> they're kind of insane. And that's the recorded version. I can't wait to see a live version. And then we can't wait to come down. And we had we had plans, uh, you know, to come down before COVID happened and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, we had, you know, we had a whole, we were working on a whole plot of what we we're going to do for 2020. And, you know, obviously that got blown up and so many people's plans got blown up. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we're, we're working, we're working back. We're working, trying to, you know, we got a couple of things planned for the fall. Hopefully everything goes, oh, that'd be goes awesome. well and hopefully soon. One of the other things that I really like is that not, every song is in you know insanity recorded you've got songs that can just that could actually probably be played on the radio like national league lament That that could, oh, yeah. I could hear that on an indie indie radio yeah. station, and on the same thing, you you know, you've also got insanity like uh, Mask of the Red Death. <laughs> yeah, we, we we opened our show with that for a long time too, and that that <laughs> would become like like well, well, the recorded version of that like it evolved so much on stage too after we recorded it. So oh, wow. like you know, even if you think, you know, kind of like the song as it is, I mean, the, the live versions become kind of like, especially like, you know, it's like with anything, you know, you get more comfortable with it becomes like a kind of a, a looser fitting suit and you yeah. feel good in it, you know? Whereas like when you're recording, you're trying to hit certain spots and stuff like that. And I think especially early on in our recording too, we were kind of trying to be perfect and trying to like hit certain spots. But I don't know, as we, as we've kind of gotten into the phase of, of this band now that we're, we're recording a lot of our improv. We're treating our recordings like they're live shows more. And it, it, I, I like that style a lot better. It, I feel like I play and I feel like the band plays better when we're kind of not trying to be like traditional recording artists or whatever, right. you know, like, you know, like we're trying, you know, cause it's, it's very easy to fall like early on, like you fall into that kind of thing of like, I want to make this perfect. I want to be like Neil Peart, you know, like I want every spot has got to be boom, 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 you know, like, yeah. cause I'm like a perfectionist when I, my drums was like, that's like all I have, right. It's like all I have to, to give to the band on a live setting. I mean, in a, in a recording setting, whereas yeah. like when I'm, when I'm playing live, I can do the faces and people guy pointing sticks at people and flipping people off, you yeah. know, like, what the fuck no? <laughs> you know, like I'm just becoming a crazy person. But when we're recording, I'm, you know, my drums are like the only thing that I'm bringing to the table. So I really want them to shine through, but like on on this new uh, recording, which is kind of an old recording too, but um, you know that that's all improv. You know, the CCXMD stuff is all yeah. improv stuff that we kind of edited down and and kind of culled into different pieces. But all of that came from you know just twenty to thirty minute jams that we just did. <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, that's amazing to me because if you think about it, it's kind of going the opposite way a lot of bands go in their career like a lot of bands this isn't what you guys are doing but they're unfocused kind of not sure what they're doing or things that sound a little improv and then they you know finally maybe get a focus three or four albums down the line you guys are kind of doing it the opposite where you've just 
your albums are getting more and more improvisational as yeah. you go. And it sounds, it's really wild because you can tell that you guys are really tight during the improvs. It's not like you guys don't yeah. know what you're doing, but it's like you're more comfortable with being more experimental now. Yeah, I, that's that's a good that's a really good point. And I, I I think we feel that way, you know. Like, and it's odd to to say that that you feel we feel more comfortable doing stuff like that because it it really is a very naked and kind of like exposed way of producing mu music, you know. Because we literally yeah. go in and we don't know what's going to happen. Like the you know we, we've since uh, we've recorded the CCXMD stuff, we've done two other recording sessions with two other instrumentalists. I don't want to give like too much away. I don't okay. know exactly what, what we're pr promoting <laughs> or whatever right now, but you know, we, we've done other recordings and every time we do something like that, it just, you're just going in there with nothing and you don't know, like, I think a lot of musicians would be, I, I don't know. I, I know I'm even scared when I go in to do that, even though I, I trust myself and I trust what the band will do. And I, I trust what Ev is going to do. And I know what we're going to make is going to be great, but it is a very like, scary uh, uh proposition where you're just like we have you know maybe we have a couple of ideas of some riffs or little things but literally anything can happen and it's it's exciting and kind of keeps you on your toes and you you want to you know and I, I gotta be honest like you know my my playing on some of that stuff isn't like perfect i don't think any of either me or Ev's playing is perfect on that but not that anybody specifically would point out like because that stuff didn't exist beforehand so you <laughs> can't really say like hey you missed a note there yeah but like <laughs> I, I I still feel like oh man it's not like the tightest I could it could be but like fuck it like let's just put it out there and like let's the you know people want to check it out I mean I think people would some people would be pretty surprised to to see that that's the stuff that we're putting out now and the improv stuff is actually even improv you know I feel like sometimes it even sounds to us when I listen back to it's like wow that actually sounds like we wrote it you know De um, but that just comes sure. from the I can hear yeah, some that, of that yeah thanks man I mean I, that just comes from years of us playing together on stage and, and being comfortable. Like I, you know, I, when he hits a certain notes, I, I know where he's going to go. So yeah. I kind of thought, you know, it's like, it's, it's a weird trail that we kind of have breadcrumbed through. And like, now we can kind of follow it anywhere, you know, it's, it, it, it's interesting. And, and it's an interesting way of producing music. And I, I, I really, um, it also takes a lot of pressure off in a way because we're not trying to focus on writing songs and writing albums and adding to our catalog. Like we're just like, we're adding to our catalog just naturally yeah, and putting out music just naturally as it comes out. And it's, it's, it's been really cool. And it, it has been kind of a, a reverse thing, but for us, it, it's been working really well and it's becoming kind of like our go-to way of producing music. And we are, you know, we're still working on like actual song songs, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, we just did a recording recently that we, we had hadn't played since the pandemic. Um, hit. Oh, wow. And we decided, well, the first time we're going to play, we're going to record it and we're oh. going to have, we're going to have someone come and play with us and we're going to just see what comes. And we, you know, it was amazing. It was amazing. You know, like oh, it came out awesome. really, really. Yeah. So that'll be a whole story for another podcast. Yeah. On down the road. <laughs> Next time I'll get the two of you on at the same time. Oh my God. I don't know if you can handle that, bro. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I can handle yeah. it. <laughs> well, when the, when the first CCXMD came out, it didn't click that that was cinema, cinema and Matt Daria. I thought it was Roman numerals, so I was like, "What the hell is negative twelve hundred and ninety-two?" Now, what is that really? What it is? That's is what it would be negative twelve hundred and ninety-two, and now it would be negative tw or ne twelve negative twelve hundred and ninety, and now it's like negative twelve hundred and ninety-two.
Wow, I don't even I didn't even know you could do what what in that is it the C's that make it negative? What is it's, what is makes it negative? The M is a larger number than the C. So you have you're oh. subtracting. <laughs> so <laughs> that's wild. Man. I wanted to ask you because you, you mentioned that in the in the in the one with Ev, and I'm like, how do you know this? That's crazy. That's crazy. Though. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's sadly it's not Roman numerals. It's not it's not as cool as that. It's just uh, you know CC and and Matt Dario together, and then the, the next album is just the second part of that. It's just kind of session that we did. It's just kind of funny that every letter in there ends up being a Roman numeral of some. Yeah. I, I I I don't know if we planned that, but I'm just going to say that we did. I like it. So how did you end up meeting Matt Darian and getting him involved in both of the releases? Typical. It's a, it's a long story, but I'll I'll try to keep it short. Um, I mean, we had we had a, a close friend, a, a buddy, Matt Paniff, who um, worked with us early on uh, in our kind of as we were doing a lot of our initial tours and and playing a lot of like our early gigs. I mean, he he was a kind of a someone we met through actually through um greg ginn from black flag right and um he was just a young guy who was really enthusiastic about music and he he was kind of trying to make connections in the scene and he was a big fan of improv and avant-garde music and he knew a couple of different musicians and um he knew matt dario from just going to see his gigs and uh he kind of started working with matt dario that um and it was really Matt Panth's idea to kind of get us in a room together and see what would happen. So like, we got to thank him for introducing us and getting us in the room with him because I don't know if it really would have happened otherwise. I mean, since then now, you know, we, we are very close with Matt Dario and we've developed a really cool kindred relationship with him, but uh, you know, getting him, getting him to the studio, like, at that time on like on a random Tuesday night, you know, getting anyone to do anything is always difficult. Right. Oh, yeah. Like it was like to get to that first practice, you know, like it kind of was, we had to work at it and um, he didn't know who cinema cinema was. And, you know, eventually we broke him down. And then when we, uh, <laughs> as soon as we started playing together, we just played like for 90 minutes straight. Like we just like really just started feeling it. And we were, we, the three of us were in like a really tight room, uh, a practice room that we had at the time and sweating our balls off. And it was just like, I mean, I remember at the end of it, he was just like, he was just winded, you know, because yes. we were going for it, you know, like, and I was like, damn, guys, I haven't played like that and, you know, whatever. But he was, you know, we were both hooked on each other and we don't play with each other all that often, but um, whenever we do, it, it really is a special thing, you know, it's, it's really awesome and it, and it brings out a different side of cinema and inside of us as individual musicians too. And, you know, we, it's interesting for us to kind of have someone who's kind of like soloing over like we can kind of be the bedding music for him to kind of do this crazy wacko freestyle scronk horn shit that he does yeah i mean any and that's like you know that's just what he does when he's when he's not even trying and then he'll whip out crazy wind instruments and all kinds of things i have an irish tin whistle that i had and i he's like i i don't even know if he ever played that before in his life and i i just brought it with me to the (laughs) studio and he was like oh cool like it's just crazy you know like blew my mind i was like holy crap man that's like, awesome. you ever even one of these anyway so um that's kind of how, how we got there and then and now we're, we're like i said like we're we're buddies and you know he's busy with his other bands and he's in various other award-winning grammy-winning acts and stuff Jeez. so it's like when he finds time to play with us i mean it's like a blessing and um yeah when we we made this stuff all back i believe it was 2013 is when we recorded the ccxmd stuff and we kind of sat on it because wow. we knew it was really special, you know, and, and it's not every day that you get to play with someone of that caliber. Cause right. again, like, you know, scheduling all that and everything was 
even then was difficult and to, you know we've played some gigs with him since then and 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 kept our relationship going and maybe there's more to come we'll see but uh that would be awesome you know, so that's kind of how it happened so the first album is is really cool the second album is a little softer it's just as mm. improvisational but there's not as much of the i don't know i guess maybe aggressive music it seems to be on on the first half of it but you guys start off the part two <laughs> with an 18 minute track yeah it's a that, single that's a bold move <laughs> <man>. <laughs> that is a bold move wow. it's crazy i mean ev kind of sounds a bit like zach de la rocha and, and meets a drunk pirate <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'll let him know you said that. <laughs> it's, it's really crazy. I mean, I kind of feel like it, it makes me feel like I'm actually in Samuel Coleridge's Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner poem, like at the <laughs> point where they're floating in the sea and everyone's died because the Mariner killed the albatross. <laughs> that's that's kind of what I feel like when I'm listening to that. It's really wild. It's it's a very wild track. Hey man, I mean, if if it can get that out of you, that's pretty great. I'll, I'll take I'll take that any day. That's that's, a, that's an amazing description of what you were feeling when listening. I mean, like that's if it can evoke something of that caliber, that's pretty great. I mean, like honestly, like I, I and I think that we we did that on purpose. You know, like it was kind of a choice. Maybe not necessarily like. Not so much by design, but you know, we didn't know if we were ever even going to release the second album, and we didn't know when we were going to do it. And it kind of came from necessity because we didn't have anything. I wouldn't want to say necessity because we always knew we would. Once we we put out the, the first one, CCXMD one, we really wanted to put all the stuff out there and really give because that was like the first time we were really kind of exposing ourselves as like truly like avant and like improvisational musicians. Right. And so we wanted like, I don't want to say the best stuff to be on there, but like the stuff that was really going to catch people, you know, like we really kind of formed that into that first album. Okay. And then there was a lot of other, you know, we, we knew that everything that we did in that session that eventually became both those albums, we knew that it was all kind of good stuff. But the second one, we were like, you know, if people, if people get through the first one, then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go easy on them with the second one or something. <laughs> like, and then, you know, when the pandemic hit, we were trying to think like, what, what should we do? Like just to stay active and just to keep the, the burners going. Cause we can't play. We couldn't even practice for, for 18 months, you wow. know, like, Gosh. I mean, literally couldn't touch anything, you know, like, and I, again, I live in an apartment still to this day and I, I don't have a drum set set up. So, and the only time I really would play would be when I was playing with Ed. So it was really like a crazy oh, time to like wow. not be playing any, any music at all. Um, so the, the CCX MD2 stuff was like, started swirling around we were like you know this is good stuff and we already had put out the other one this would be a good follow-up and this will be a, a way to kind of keep the fires burning during the pandemic you know because there's a lot of stuff that goes into putting out an album obviously oh, like, yeah. it's just coming out now but we've been talking about doing this since like 
April of last year, you know, like wow. or whatever, you know, like we've been talking about like, what are we going to do? And like, you know, steps and putting steps in place to get, make this all happen the way it's happening. So, um, uh, basically, uh, it was, it was kind of a choice to, to make it a little more softer, but like also that's the, that was the stuff that we had and we kind of formed it and we just realized this is kind of like the other half of that journey, you know, like yeah. you make it through that really a first initial stuff. It's like really aggressive and really, at certain points and can be very challenging to listen to at certain points. Yeah, you, know, you earned a little bit of life of its own, you know, like just enjoy it, being the pirate guy floating around after the, the albatross is killed or whatever, yeah. you know, like just, just enjoy it, you know, yeah. even though it has its moments of being, you know, like what the fuck is going on. But yeah, uh, um, yeah. to that point, um, Crack of Dawn, there's not a whole lot of lyrics in this album, but uh, Crack of Dawn has some you know mouth noises and crying <laughs> um <laughs> I don't. I, I don't yeah. even really know where I'm going with that. I just kind of want to say that so I can play that section in this in the podcast. <laughs> yeah, you know, I. Uh, it's been a long time since we recorded that. I don't know what Ev was going through emotionally at that time. Um, could have been a rough day at work or something. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean that. You know, and that that's just something too. It's like there's not a lot of lyrics, there's not a lot of singing on that stuff. And some of the stuff that we've been working on that's more improvisational now, Ev kind of has changed his approach to um, his finding where the voice can fit into into that stuff. But okay. at that point, you know, we were kind of we really wanted Dario's Dario's um, sax is kind of like the voice, right? Yeah, like yeah. The, he's kind of like the lead singer of the band in that in that version of the band. So um, I get to fit in his random squeals and cries and his uh, <laughs> tears. You know, pirates. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, <laughs> I think uh, he... a yard or two would have been good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I, I can't really speak to what exactly, you know, what <laughs> mental breakdown he was suffering <laughs> uh, during that time. <laughs> but, you know, maybe I'll, I'm going to, I'll, I'll ask him myself. Even though, maybe I'm afraid to know what, what, what he <laughs> Yeah, you might want to keep that one a secret. <laughs> So is there anything left of those sessions or is, is this basically everything that is kind of in a song format? Oh, uh, I think that that is probably everything that we, cause I, I know that there's some cutting room floor stuff that, you know, when we were editing and, and things like that, that, you know, didn't really, wasn't really long enough to be a song or really didn't sound cohesive enough to fit even with some of the stuff on there where it's just out of, out of crazy, crazy as it is, but you know, <laughs> I think for the most part, that's pretty much what we're going to put out of that. But okay. I, you know, there could be, there could be some, some bonus tracks or different things uh, come out in the future. We'll just have to see. I'll wrap this up with you real soon. I mean, you've been so kind to stay with me for, for over an hour at this point, but oh, of course, man. what will a live cinema cinema show be like at this point with these two albums out now? And beyond that, the new albums, are they going to incorporate more improvisational material in them 
mixed in with the structured stuff? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I mean, I think we're still trying to figure that out ourselves, right? I mean, <laughs> to be to be honest, uh, we've kind of always put um, like on every album. If you look at our our kind of discography, there's always a song uh, that's kind of called Shiner One or Shiner yes. Two. So all that stuff is improv. All that stuff is made up on the spot. and you know maybe edit it a little bit here and there but uh, so we kind of always have had some improvisational stuff on the album so that's kind of what has this now has grown into with the ccsmd stuff and some of the other stuff we're going to be working on so i think there'll there'll definitely be a shiner on the next real album that's like a written song <laughs> um but you know to be honest like that we have we have like a new album fully written and it's like some of our most structured pointed attack driven kind of material that I we've ever written and wow. we were really gearing up to record that before the pandemic hit, hit. Yeah. and we were touring we were we basically rewrote our whole set and we were just like we're just going to play this new set and this is going to be the we're going to record this album as the, the set is going to be what we record for the album and we, I don't know how we were going to do it maybe we, we toyed around with the idea of just maybe recording it like as a set and like not stopping like we're just doing a 40 minute take of, like the of the album so that that could still happen i mean but again we now we haven't played those songs in in months so it's yeah. kind of shitty but um so we'll see i mean like when we get, actually get to get back into the studio and practice again and see where we're at musically and i'm i'm, I'm sure we'll we'll have a lot of cobwebs and i'm sure we'll have a lot of aggression to yeah. get out because you know the, the music in playing together for me and ev is really a uh, a release it's really a therapeutic kind of a thing that we do together that we haven't had for this last you know over a year now so um once we survive the initial couple of practices <laughs> and, like don't like explode like spontaneously combust or something um i guess we'll see what happens and then also see what the new what the next couple of gigs are, are like you know and and where we're at with the live show i think the idea is to kind of pick up where we left off and play some of the songs that we were working on beforehand and you know when we play live we always have a certain amount of improv that goes into it um and i can only imagine that uh you know the improv stuff will continue to be a big part of our um you know discography and like whatever we put out going forward you know not but i think kind of what we want to do is like when we put out the next album i feel like it's going to be like the next real album it'll be like a shock to people like we want it to be kind of like Oh, now they're back to making real songs again. Like what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like maybe that's the idea. So okay. I don't know. We we'll have to see. <laughs> okay. Well, that's fair. Yeah. Well, I like improv music. I love I love improv everything. I'm improv comedy, improv music. I, <laughs> it's all fantastic. And somebody asked me what I was listening to today, and I kind of I, I told him what it was, and like, all right, what's what's it sound like? I said, well. If you've ever wondered what a side project between like early, early first generation King Crimson and Fugazi would sound like, that's that's these two albums. So wow. 
That's, that's again, man, you're throwing out some big names. I mean, that's, that's, like, that's high praise, dude. Thank you, man. That's really nice uh, to hear that. And I mean, it's just what came out naturally. So I don't know. <laughs> We're trying to do that, but it's awesome that, it, that that's what it's kind of bringing into your mind. That, that's the only way I could think of to describe it because you've got the attack of Fugazi, but you also have the space and the sax and, and all the, the horns of early King Crimson. So it's really a unique set of albums because they you know honestly you could put one on and listen to both of them all the way through they're you know yeah. which makes sense since they were all recorded at the same time <laughs> yeah it's got the same vibe yeah, yeah. but that, that, that should be the tagline for the album i mean like Fugazi meets King, King Crimson I mean, i'll take that there you <laughs> go <great. laughs> <laughs> tell That's hey tell, awesome. tell howard to put that in your in, in your publicity I'll, I'll email him right now. I won't charge him anything <laughs> for that. Just give me credit. <laughs> you got it. Anything to you, bro. <laughs> well, man, I really do appreciate the time you spent. Where can people follow the band? How can they order the album and, and the prior stuff? Because the first CCXMD is just as good as this one. And you've got all your earlier albums, which are just wild. They're amazing. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, man. I mean, I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. I don't get to do much of this, uh, you know, stuff. This is like uh, getting an exclusive. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> um, but uh, I, you know, I, I really appreciate you being so easy to talk to and making me feel comfortable. And I appreciate that a lot. Saying so many nice things about my band. It's just very fulfilling. My pleasure. And, it's uh, all true. Yeah, yeah, thanks, man. And uh, if anybody wants to check out, any of our stuff, it's all on Bandcamp, Cinema Cinema uh, Bandcamp. Say band, bandcamp.com slash Cinema Cinema Band. Yeah. And uh, you go on our Instagram. It's, it's pretty much Cinema Cinema Band across everything. So if you just Google that, you'll find everything you want. And we're on Apple Music and Spotify. You know, the the new single from the new out, the, the album that's coming out August 20th is uh, A Life of Its Own. That's on uh, Spotify and Apple Music, so you can check that out. It's a long one, like Mark said, 18 minutes. So, uh, you know, <laughs> put it on while you're making your dinner or something. Um, but it's, uh, you know, very proud of that one. And then again, you can purchase it from us from our band camp. And uh, that's that's pretty much it, man. And the, the social medias are all Cinema Cinema. It's really easy to find. Yeah. Pretty much easy to find. Cinema Cinema Band or Cinema Cinema. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty ironclad across all social media so, platforms. I have one more question to ask you before I let you go, because I asked this to Ev what, like oh, sure. two years ago or something when I had him on. I asked him what his, one of the wildest live moments he had. And he told me about the time that he kind of blew out the power grid on like half a block in at, at, a, at a bar in Germany. <laughs> yeah. What, so what's your favorite touring memory? Well, I, it might, it might have even been on the, on that same tour. That was a, that was a wild tour. I, it, it's definitely the, the stuff that we ha we've had in Europe, the experiences that we've had in Germany and, and all across the, Austria and, and, and Switzerland and all these places that we've played in Europe. I mean, those are some of the highlights and will always be the highlights of my, in our career. Um, but there's one that like, that comes to mind, like pretty instantly when any, anytime I'm, I'm, I think about that or anytime anybody asks kind of a question like that, it's basically, we played a gig in Italy. I can't remember if it was on that same tour where Ev blew the, the fuses and all that stuff. And he, he had to get like 18 nine-volt batteries <laughs> yeah. to like power all of his uh, his uh, pedals. Um, 
Yeah, I, that might have been that might have been that tour. Anyway, so um, again, uh, similar to that story, a uh, big part of our European tours is always our our friend uh, Andreas, who um, is a great guy uh, who tours us around when we when we play in, in Germany and, and in Europe. Um, and he, if we didn't have him, we wouldn't be able to get to the places that we go. So yeah. uh, he also speaks all languages wow. and whatever. So he's very very key person when we when we tour abroad. But on this particular leg of the tour we were going up to um italy where we thought was going to be oh, we're going to have plates of pasta and we're going to be eating pizza pies and all these things <laughs> and and basically it was more it was like northern italy so it's basically on the border of germany and italy so it was like basically still germany but we right. were like we hit we hit italy it was in it was in italy <laughs> um but we were going thinking we we're going to festival and uh it was a festival there was other bands playing it but we get there and it was, um, they didn't have like, you know, we're touring from, from another country. So we didn't bring all of our stuff. Like we kind of went to gigs with the idea that there was going to be some house stuff. Right. And, uh, basically that's not the worst part. The worst part was like trying to like, we get there and we're like, we're so close. Like, where is this place? And we're looking at the the map and it's, it, it just says we're still 10 miles away, but we realized that we're 10 miles straight up. Like we had to, basically drive up a mountain for about i would say an hour like it was just oh like yeah and and andreas's car wasn't like a big tr- truck or something that could handle this off-road mountain <laughs> driving like it was a stick shift you know like little volkswagen oh, and i mean at any moment i thought that we were and we had gear in the car too so it was pretty heavy car like we were a heavy dude sitting in it and I just, at any moment, if he took his foot off the, the, the clutch or whatever, we would have just rolled down to oblivion. Like, it would have been the end of cinema cinema. Oh, so, no. I mean, like, that was pretty, that's one of the crazy stories that I, just getting to that gig. And then eventually, when we finally got there, it was like a farm. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't like a music venue, but um, <laughs> so we played a gig, and we, we make it happen on the on the shambolic gear that we had there. It actually wound up being a very enjoyable experience. And, then they're like, okay, we're, we're going to go to sleep. We literally, they gave us, I don't even know if they gave us blankets or whatever, but we go up into a, into a barn to sleep, <laughs> freaking freezing cold in the middle of it. I mean, it was at that point, it was, it was late at night and it was really cold. But I mean, you're in a, you're in a field in the middle of Italy. Yes. And <laughs> I mean, it was pitch, pitch dark. So we didn't even know where we were sleeping. We we're just like, okay, let's just get through this night and whatever. We'll just, yeah. we survived and it's, <laughs> we made it like we're just we're gonna be all right we're gonna be right just make it to the morning come to find out we're sleeping above cows that got up at like a crack of dawn we're waking up to cow bells in the morning (laughs) and actually it was a blessing in disguise because it got us up early enough and we were just like all right it's it's 6 a.m let's just get the hell out of here and just drive back down that mountain that we just came up um so yeah so that's that's uh that's one that really sticks out and you know like just the whole experience of getting there playing the gig making a gig happen like they didn't even have a mic stand and had had the microphone taped to his chest oh my so god he could sing to it like i was playing on trash cans and stuff like <laughs> i don't even but and somehow even through all that we still made fans that night it was pretty crazy like oh, people were like still somehow got, got it and they appreciated us still giving even though we didn't have much to give with yeah and then you know <laughs> making it through that gig and then sleeping amongst the the the, the cattle and then eventually driving back down to safety and i just remember we, we we stopped off in a cafe afterwards and we were just like wow like i we 
I'm just, we're all just glad that we survived that, <laughs> like, <laughs> let alone like that the gig went good and we made some fans or whatever. But uh, yeah, so that's, that's one that I'll, ne- I'll never forget that experience. That was wild. Oh man. That is and awesome. and on, on top of that, not to, not to cut you off, but yeah. the kicker of that, it was actually Ev's birthday Eve that night, that night. And in his, on, into his birthday, there, a calf was birthed and they named the calf Ev. Oh my birthday. gosh. That's awesome. Yeah, so, <laughs> so all come together. Oh, that is fantastic. <laughs> Man, Paul, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. I really do appreciate you sharing all this with me. It's been great. Absolutely, Mark. Likewise, man. And appreciate you having me. And I, I look forward to doing it again. Maybe six, CCX73 will be the two CC bros will, will come and uh, join you. <laughs> It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.